Thank you. Well, I don't come here very often because when I do, things happen. <laughs> I was here two years ago in August, and uh, I was on my way to Iraq. And uh, I, I think if you don't mind, Pastor, I'll tell a little bit of what happened. I had been, been invited by the Minister of the Interior in Kurdistan to create a new constitution for Muslims in Iraq and to provide a safe haven for all Christians in the Middle East. I don't know if you understand how amazing that is. But when he called me and asked me to come over, he asked me to bring some pastors from America and Canada, the UK. So I brought 13 uh, men with me. By the way, uh, I want to give credit to Joel this morning. Joel and I have been together. Joel, would you stand up? We've been together for 50 years. I'm a Canadian, and when I went down to Oral Roberts to go to school, uh, I stayed in the men's dorm, and across from me was Joel. And Joel is a fitness freak, and uh, all the guys on our hall would sit and count every time he did push-ups in the hall. And believe me, he did a lot of them. And we're still together after 50 years. That's a lot of faithfulness on his part, and we're very grateful to the Lord for him. But we took 13 pastors into the heart of Islam, into the heart of ISIS. We were right outside of the headquarters for ISIS in the city of Mosul. And the uh, deputy, excuse me, the uh, minister of the interior put, uh, made a plan for me. I asked him if he would please organize it for me to go to Mosul. Mosul has been almost destroyed. And there were a lot of ethnic Christians who were living in Mosul who had to leave because ISIS began to slaughter people. How would you like an army coming into your town? And they went village by village, or house by house, warning the people as they knocked on the door they had two choices. Either turn to Islam and confess Muhammad as the prophet of Allah, or die. A lot of them chose to die. And I'll tell you one thing, folks, when we get to heaven, the people who walk to the front of the line are not going to be names that we know that well. There'll be hidden people who, out there somewhere who are paying a price. And uh, we have a lot of friends who are paying that price over there. But it was a Monday morning, the 21st of August. We walked out of the hotel in Erbil, which is the capital of Kurdistan. And um, we were a little intimidated to see that they had a, a motorcade or an armed uh, guard for us. Uh, in fact, the Prime Minister had sent his bodyguards to host our visit. And uh, so they they had their uh, machine guns. I mean, everybody was carrying an AK-47. My pastor friends were a little intimidated by the weapons. And uh, they were all looking inquiringly at me, and I was grinning and saying, yes, We'll get, in, we'll get in the car. They had a bunch of soldiers at the back, probably I think eight in, in the back vehicle, another eight in another vehicle in front of us, 
and then four land cruisers that we traveled in provided by the government. And we went out to Mosul, which is about 45 to 50 miles from Erbil. We were stopped at a roadblock uh, place on the highway. You find this a lot in Iraq. And I saw a host of young people gathered around the front of our cavalcade, if I can call it that. Uh, I wasn't uh, too surprised by it. I noticed that all the young men were there. There was no young women. But then I began to notice something unusual about them. It appeared to me that they were all taking drugs of some sort. I didn't know what. But they were arguing with our guards up front, and I saw one of the young men take a rifle butt and shove it into the face of the soldier, put him in the hospital. And we realized we were in trouble. My brother-in-law said to me, the first time he'd ever been with me overseas, and he said, if they open fire on our vehicles, I'm going to lay on the floor and you lay on top of me to protect me. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. His, his mother passed away about uh, 10 days ago and I was up in Canada and I told the true story of his cowardice at the, at the uh, funeral of his mother. Then we all laughed. Uh-huh. But... Um, I thought everything was all right until I heard the first gun go off. And the guns came out everywhere. I had a young man standing directly in front of me outside of the window of my car. His AK-47 was pointed in the air at a maybe a 45-degree angle. The bullets were clearing just the roof of the car. And I watched the bullets flipping out of the magazine against the window. And I realized that we very possibly were, were coming to the end of our lives. Our, the man who runs our ministry over there uh, was in one of the vehicles, and he was erasing all of the uh, children, pictures of his children, his wife, his ministries, head of the Bible Society in Iraq. He got rid of everything because we were pretty sure that we may be captivated or captured and Iran was just 50 miles away. If we were taken to Iran, we would probably never be heard from in the West again. And so that's what happened. Uh, after about 45 minutes, the prime minister in Baghdad sent a message to the terrorists and told them to back off. That was just after they had pulled in a 50-millimeter cannon in the back of a half-ton truck, aiming at the first car in our, uh, in our uh, cavalcade. Um, obviously, we lived. Joel was there, and he's alive. I was there, and I'm alive. We found out later from the prime minister that it was absolutely amazing that our lives were spared. But that's what I went to when I was here in, in uh, August, two years ago. Uh, I left here. Uh, your pastor and your church gave us a very generous gift. We went over uh, to use it for the Lord. Now, I, I want to say something very briefly because I, I don't have time to go any further. But, uh, uh, oh... Two, week, two months ago, I got a phone call from one of the board members at 
or Roberts University, asking me, please, would I come with him? He had been invited by the head of Oral Roberts University and by the Muslim government in Kurdistan. He had been invited to go and talk to the Muslim leadership of the Kurds about opening a branch of Oral Roberts University in Kurdistan in the heart of Islam. I met, Joel was with me, I met Dentrevon Barzani, who at that time is Prime Minister. And uh, when he saw me, he said, Terry, anything you want, you can have. We'll give you land, we'll give you pretty much everything. And so uh, I want you to be praying with me. I was called by Billy Wilson, the president of ORU, called to go in and talk with him. And we agreed. And he said, when I go over, which is going to be not too far along in the next couple of months, he said, I want you to go. I want you to be there to present me to the governments, various leaders of government. And, uh, but the choice as to whether he does it or not is in his hands. But what is shocking the daylights out of me is that I have an opportunity like this. They want the initial class to be uh, very English-oriented. They're looking for 300 students. The money that's being put up is unbelievable. I, can, I won't even tell you numbers. But we are on the verge of what may be one of the most important segments of my life. I never realized growing up in Canada as a kid, chasing cattle, that one day the Lord would call me into the nations of the earth. But I want to thank you because your, your uh, church sowed seed in our ministry. We're going to have a, a short video at the end of uh, my talk this morning uh, to show you what, what's going on in that part of the world. We're having our 50th ministry uh, 50th anniversary celebration in Tulsa. We've got over 100 members of Living Sound coming in from around the world to celebrate with us. And we believe this is going to be the next stretch is going to be the greatest one that God has ever given us. Thank you for your support. Sometimes when you pray for the missionaries, you don't know who the missionaries are. But sometimes when you pray for them, a lot of them can be in trouble. I'm going to preach a little bit about that this morning. But God is good, and uh, I'm so honored to be able to come back and give a report to you. Um, uh, there's a whole lot of things that I don't even have time to say, but God has opened doors. We stand in amazement. I can't describe for you what, how important it would be to have a Christian university in Iraq I, I, can't, I can't even express what's on my tongue. It's just, it's overwhelming. But a lot, and a lot of us have seen terrorism over there. I've seen it up close and personal. But how many of you know? Uh, I don't know how many. Uh, Pastor made this quote about Elisha and his servant Gehazi and Dothan when they were invaded by the Syrian army. 
and Gehazi saw how many thousands of troops filling the valley, and he ran to Elisha and said, what are we going to do? My father, what are we going to do? And he said, don't trouble yourself. Those that be with us are more than they that be with them. Can I tell you this morning that the God and the angels of God that are with us are more than anything the devil can throw against us going forward? That's a fact. That's a fact. I want to take from my text this morning a short reading of the book of Second Chronicles and Second uh, uh, Corinthians. I'm sorry, First uh, New Testament, Second. Oh, we'll do it at the end. Yeah, all right. Yeah, we'll have a video for you at the end to kind of close up everything we're saying. I'm going to read one of the important verses that God showed me in in the message of praise and worship. I have been serving the Lord for a long time. I traveled. When I moved from Canada to come to Oral Roberts University, I had no idea that six weeks after I arrived, that I would be invited by Brother Roberts to travel in his healing ministry. I was on the platform with him. We would, when the anointing was on him, he would start uh, laying hands on as many people as he could do. And I, I was stunned at what I saw. I was stunned at goiters disappearing. <laughs> How do you explain that? Uh, but the Lord is good and and God opened this text to me, and I'm going to read it to you now, Second Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to commence reading at verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world. Everybody say war. war. We do not wage war as the world does. Notice the next word. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought. Would you say that, every thought? Part of our journey with God is taking captive the thoughts in our minds, bringing them into subjection to what the Word of God says. If the Word of God doesn't say it, then we don't say it either, because His Word buttresses everything we declare about His Word. But I want to point out several words here. The first word I want to point out is the word war, the weapons of our warfare. We do not war as the world does. The next word is the word weapons. That's an important word here. And then the third one I want to look at is the word strongholds, or this particular version, which is the NIV, uses the word, uh, it uses the word strongholds, but he says pretensions that set themselves against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought. I I want to suggest to you that our world is run by ideological uh, concepts. In America, we're largely capitalists. Uh, We uh, 
We believe in being generous as a nation. But I, I want you to understand that, that we are set in a battle. Simply by claiming the claim in the name of Jesus, we find ourselves in the midst of battle. And I, I want to show you just for a moment, if I may, how Satan has endeavored to trap the church. When Satan came to Adam and Eve in the garden, what did he say? He placed a doubt in their mind. He said to them, hath God said. That is the foundation of a stronghold, and that's what a stronghold means in this text. I spend a lot of my time dealing in the midst of strongholds that are overwhelmingly powerful. One of those strongholds is Islam. It's a, a devilish system when you get in the middle of it. And we are called by God to do that. So we're spending our time in that part of the world. But notice how the Bible says and structures things. When Satan came to Eve and said, Hath God said, she fell to his temptation. Did you know that uh, Judas, the Bible says about Judas in, uh, I believe it's Matthew 18, 2, now Satan having put into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus was betrayed by a thought. The most powerful things in your lives are thoughts. And it is thoughts that is gripping a generation in America in terms of socialism and everything else that you want to name. But I'll tell you one thing. God has his own thoughts. And that's why there's a battle of thoughts that God has invited us to get involved with. Have you ever noticed when Judas betrayed Jesus, Satan having put into the heart of Judas to betray Christ, Ananias and Sapphira, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Have you noticed in the great proclamation of Peter, when Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Peter has anointing from the Holy Spirit. It's in Matthew 16. And Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That declaration is it. That's the bottom line. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter looks to him and says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Five minutes later, same man. Hello? Peter only opened his mouth to change feet. That's the kind of guy he was. And Jesus tells everybody, you didn't even get that. I got one guy down here that laughed. Uh, Peter opened his mouth to change feet. I'll, I'll think about that a little more. Anyway, um, uh, uh, Jesus says to him, Flesh and blood didn't reveal this unto thee. Then Peter says, Jesus, don't go to Calvary. Don't go to the cross. Forget about all of that. And Jesus turns on Peter because Peter is now listening to Satan's thoughts. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. He doesn't say, get thee behind me, Peter. Read what the Bible says. Get thee behind me, Satan. In five minutes, he's moved from a declaration of Jesus as the Son of God, and he's mouthing words that the devil has put in his heart. We're prone to this. 
a lot more than most of you realize. And I want to bring us uh, into a concept of, of praise and worship that uh, brings us to a point of warfare and dealing with thoughts. Joe, if you turn up, uh, open my water, please. My mouth is kind of dry. I was thinking you should take a drink. You were thinking I should take a drink. That's good. I'm going to do exactly that. There's three primary thought systems that Satan employs. uh, Employs, yeah. Uh, One is a tempter. The devil is primarily a tempter. And secondly, the devil is primarily a deceiver. How does he deceive? He deceives with thought, with, with thought bombs. I remember traveling across the desert in Afghanistan. And I was in the back seat of a car being driven by an Afghan warlord. This guy's name was Haji Mohammed. Seventy miles an hour across a barren desert. I asked why so fast, and he said, well, they got uh, landmines all over this land, and we don't want to blow up, so I asked him to go a little faster. (laughs) And uh, anyway, he turns around, he's driving the car, this guy's got a bushy black beard, and he says, you know, I like you Christians. I said, why? He says, because we are both serving the same God. And I said, I'm sorry, we're not. I had to think twice before I said that, because he was driving the car. (laughs) I said, I'm sorry, sir, we are not serving the same God. I said, my God has a son. How about yours? He was stunned. He said, do you have anything that explains how Jesus is the Son of God? I had a pocket full of tracts in the Afghan language. I pulled one out. We call it the story of Jesus. I handed it to him, and he spent the rest of the day reading about Jesus. There's something powerful in the name of Jesus. Let me tell you, when Satan came and was tempted, or, and tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, what did Jesus do? Three times he said, it is written. That's the answer to Eve in the garden with the devil. The devil said to Eve, hath God said? Jesus said, yes, God has said, and here's what he said. Bang, it is written. Bang, it is written. Bang, it is written. That's when the Word of God takes on power when you put it on your lips and you speak out what God has said in His Word. So we have three weapons, and I'm going to go to that part of my message now this morning. And uh, God uses three primary weapons in our walk with the Lord. The first one is the weapon of the Word. The second is the weapon of the name of Jesus. And the third is the blood of Jesus. You know, we take some of these names and they just fall over our lips and we don't even think much about them. But I would suggest to you, Uh, that the blood of Jesus is one of the most wonderful things that I have ever studied or learned about. Do do you know, in a baby, when a baby is born, 
when a, the womb of a of a mother is cultivated by the sperm of the man? Did you know that that happens in such a way that it allowed the virgin birth to take place and most of us have never figured it out? What happened when the angel came to Mary? He said, you're going to bear a son. He told her what was going to happen. She said, how is this going to happen? How will it, I'm still a virgin. And, and she goes on and on, making excuses. And, and the angel says, the power of the Lord will overshadow you. The power of God is going to come all over you. And the son or the child you will bear will be called the Christ, the son of the living God. Praise God. In the womb of Mary, in the womb of a mother, any mother, all mothers in this room, the baby is protected by the mother's blood. Why? Because it is uh, encased in a, what we call a fallopian tube. And the baby never touches the mother's blood directly. The blood of the mother is fed to the child through a, a, center, a, a, a system in the fallopian tube that pulls the food out of, the, of what there has run, and then that baby receives sustenance from the life of the mother. This had to be, because when Jesus was born, he was not born of the blood of God. He was born by the blood of man. Mary's blood created the life in Jesus. That's why when the angel said to her, uh, that which is going to come upon you, will be, he, he'll be called the son of the high, highest. And uh, I, I'm totally amazed at how the weapons that God has given us, and I could go into a whole litany here on the word, on the name of Jesus, on the blood of Jesus. All these are important words. But what Paul says in this discussion, the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful. Would you say that with me as an audience this morning? The weapons of my warfare are divinely powerful. Let's try one more time. The weapons of my warfare are divinely powerful. One more time. The weapons of my warfare are divinely powerful. Turn it to the, turn to the person sitting beside it and say that to them, if you would, please. I want to talk to you about warfare for just a moment. Most of you are probably as concerned as I am watching the uh, escapades of Iran in the Middle East. Iran just last week attacked uh, Saudi Arabia. Understand one thing. We as Americans don't know what Islam is composed of. Let me tell you, there are two main groups in Islam. One are the Sunnis. 80% of all Muslims in the world are Sunnis. The other group is called Shia. 99% of the Arabs in Iran are Shia. They believe that their Messiah is coming back, and they believe pretty much everything you and I believe about the second coming of Jesus Christ, but they've got theology. Am, am I missing? Are you, okay, it's all right. Um, so I, 
I want to suggest some thoughts to you this morning. I think it's very important for us, if we're in warfare, to know how to launch the weapons that God has given us. This is vital for us. And I would say and suggest to you that there is a difference between a nuclear warhead and a rocket that sends the nuclear warhead to the target. You can send nuclear warheads, including the word of Scripture, and speak it and send it around the world. That's so powerful. I love that idea. In the Middle East right now, Iran is striving to build a nuclear weapon. And believe me, they are not going to stop. I know them well enough from living over there and the ministry that we have done over and over around the country. I know that they are determined to get a nuclear weapon. And let me tell you, if they get a nuclear weapon, Russia has already provided them with the ICBMs and the rockets they need to deliver the weapons. What is destructive about an ICBM? Not the rocket that sends the weapon. It's the weapon, the nuclear weapon, that destroys. you understand what I'm saying? And there are nuclear weapons that God has given us, and that's a part of our warfare. Our warfare is wrapped around our three weapons, the word, the name, and the blood. And we can send words by our lips and by our faith that absolutely shake the invisible world. So I want to suggest this morning that there, let, let's go through this and if you'd repeat it with me. We have three weapons. One more time. Three The the name and the blood. One more time. The word, the name, and the blood. Now, here's the question that I want to dwell on this morning. What rockets has God given to us in the church to send his rockets, the rockets of the word, the name, and the blood, into action against the enemy? And I would suggest to you that God has given us in the body of Christ four weapons. Let me outline them for you, and we'll find out what, what I, I'm talking about here. Uh, the Bible says that prayer is a ICBM. You can pray, and someone halfway around the world can be affected by your prayer. I was in Afghanistan, or yes, I was on the, in the borders of Iraq and Afghanistan about two or three years ago. I was on my way back to America. I had to preach at a church in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, I, was, I hired a, a guy who was a taxi driver at the border crossing, and I asked him how much it would cost to take me to the city of, uh, uh, what in the world is that city named? Um, anyway, it's a famous city in Turkey. And I hired him to take me and to, uh, in his car to take me. And uh, we went through the border crossing out of Iraq into Turkey. That's one of the biggest and major smuggling operations in the world takes place at that border crossing. And when we pulled up, I was in the front seat beside the driver. 
and I noticed that the guards at the border checked under my seat. They checked in the back. They checked in the trunk. They checked everywhere, looking for weapons. And I didn't know that the whole thing was a charade. Uh, we went into the first town in Turkey. I asked and said to the driver I had to use the restroom, so I went into a hotel, trotted up to the second floor, came back down shortly thereafter. And there was my taxi driver pulling bags of white powder out from under my seat. And I realized that he was a drug smuggler, and I realized that I was sitting on a cache of drugs, and if I was captured, the Turks would put me in jail and throw away the key. And uh, I didn't know what to do. I started praying. How many of you, get, when you get in trouble, you pray in tongues? That's what I do. <laughs> I spend a lot of time doing that because most of the time I'm in trouble. But uh, I started to pray and ask God for wisdom. This man was piloting me all by ourselves across the barren desert in Turkey. I was a thousand miles from civilization. And I had no idea what would happen. So I'm crying out to the Lord. You got it here? So I was crying out to the Lord, give me wisdom, tell me what to do. And uh, halfway across the desert, my taxi driver's cell phone rings, and he starts talking on the phone. And he hands me the phone, he says, here, my friend wants to talk to you. And there's a woman comes on the phone, she says, uh, uh, we understand that you want to get from Istanbul to America. I said, yes, I've, I've got to be there in about three days. And they said, well, we are preparing a ticket for you, and we want you to buy the ticket through us. I'm, I, this is a drug smuggler offering me a, a flight to America. And I'm looking at him, and I'm praying. Well, I, I want to cut a whole story short here, but that evening I got into a hotel in Istanbul preparing to fly to America the next morning. My cell phone rings in my room. And my good friend Don Moan, how, how many of you know Don? Don's written a lot of music. God will make a way where there seems to be no way and, and some other music like that. And Don's been on my board. Uh, he traveled with me for 14 years. My cell phone rings. Don's on the phone. He said, Terry, where are you? I said, I'm in Turkey. Why? He said, what were you doing four or five hours ago? And I, I didn't know what to say, but I started telling him about the danger that I had been in with a drug smuggler out in the wilds of uh, Afghanistan and Turkey. And he says, was it such and such a time? I said, yes. Why? He said, we were sitting around the breakfast table. He was living in Mobile, Alabama. He said, my wife and I were sitting around the breakfast table, and the Lord said, Terry's in trouble. He said, I got down on my knees in my breakfast nook, and I started crying out to God. I had no idea why God had delivered me in that situation. But there was a believer who knew how to send a weapon and knew how to send a warhead. Praise God. You see... You see what I'm saying? This, this is what it's all about. The second weapon we have, or the second rocket we have, is preaching. My preaching has power when I preach the Word 
the name and the blood. And I'm aware of that. The word has power when I hurl weapons into the atmosphere for the ears and the attention of my audience. So when I say the word has power, it does it. It does have power when you declare it. So we can declare by prayer. We can declare by preaching. The third rocket that sends weapons is testimony. Every one of you in this service has a testimony. It's not like what anybody else has. Yours is specific to you. And you can launch your warfare at work in in a university or wherever it is that you are caught up. It's vital for us to be able to testify to the word, the name, and the blood. Would somebody say amen, please? Now, the final launching rocket that I want to talk about, I want to major on this one going out. The fourth launching rocket wherewith we send weapons against the enemy is praise and worship. All right, I want you to say these four with me now. First of all, prayer, preaching, I kind of ran out of gas on that one. Let's, let's try it again. Prayer, preaching, testimony, and praise and worship. I want to tell you a story. Uh, I started the group Living Sound on the campus of Oral Roberts University, and God spoke to me at a certain juncture in our history and told me that he was going to send us to the nations of the world. I didn't want it. I certainly didn't ask for it. But I was in a church 60 miles outside of Johannesburg with my group Living Sound. Living Sound was raised up on campus at Oral Roberts University. I led the group, and... uh, we are having our 50th anniversary in 10 days. Over a 100 of our alumni from around the world are coming together to Tulsa, and we're going to celebrate. This is a good, great time for us. Praise the Lord. But when I was in Africa praying in the back room of a church, the building out front was jammed with people. It was built to, sit, to seat 450. There were about 600 in the audience. I was in the back, kneeling on the floor with my Bible laid out in front of me. And as I prepared my heart for the preaching that night, all of a sudden, Jesus was in the room. I didn't look at him. I didn't try to see him. I knew he was there. The the glow of his power was there. And he said some words to me. He said, I'm going to send you to the closed nations of the earth. You're going to do things there that men would believe impossible, but if you are willing and obedient, you will possess the good of the land. I didn't know how to tell my group outside what God had just said to me. I walked out. I was scheduled to preach. The music came to an end. I grabbed my Bible, walked to the pulpit, and I knew I couldn't say a word till I announced to everybody in that room what the Holy Spirit had said to me in the back room. And I said, God is sending us to the closed nations of the earth. All of a sudden, my group 
I was sitting on the front row stood to attention. I mean, they just were shocked. How could I say this? They didn't want to go to the Iron Curtain. They wanted nothing to do with this. But in the, in the scope of time, uh, we, I just left it with God. I said, Lord, I don't know how to get to, to Moscow. I don't know how to get to uh, Poland or the various communist nations. And I said, if you want me there, you're going to have to speak to me directly. And so a letter came to us in one of our tours in California. The letter was from a university in Krakow, Poland, the famous Jagiellonian University where Copernicus taught. Can you believe? Copernicus taught in that university. Anyway, um, they said, we would like your group Living Sound to sing in our club in Krakow. And they decided they were going to sell tickets for us. They had had no American group of any sort in Poland for 30 years. And we were a huge attraction. Come to find out, friends, when we got off the bus in Warsaw or in uh, Poland, that the invitation to us to come had come not from a, a university group or uh, whatever, they were the leaders of the Youth Communist Party. And they had booked us to do two fundraising events in the headquarters of the Communist Party that night. If you don't think God has a hum sense of humor, you ought to travel with me. When I found out who they were, there's no way I was going to tell them who I was. Joel was with me on the trip. And... Uh, we set up our equipment in the club. Young students come in there. They started like lighting up cigarettes, started drinking booze and whiskey and everything you can imagine. And here, here was a, a ribald party, and we were the entertainment. Do you have any idea what happened when we sang our first song? Talk about dropping a bomb. There it was, right out front. And... Uh, well, I was scheduled to bring greetings to the audience about 12 minutes into the program. So I got up and I brought greetings to the crowd. But you'll find this out about me. I am not very afraid of telling the truth. And as I stood in that club, I said, Marx and Lenin did not have the way. The one who has the way is Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and Savior. He transformed me as a drunken young teenager, and he's called me to preach, and God can do that for any one of you. It was dead quiet in the room. I walked off stage left. Two men grabbed me under the arms. They said, we, we know that you work for the CIA. I do work for the CIA. I'm a Christian in action, and that makes me CIA. Well, they, they had declared that we could not sing anymore, but they had a problem in the fact that they'd already sold out both uh, uh, concerts for tickets. They'd, uh, the tickets were already out, and uh, there were young people by the hundreds gathered in the streets around about the club. There was a man across town who found out 
who we were. His name was Carol Cardinal Voitiva. I'll tell you who he is in a moment. But uh, down in the basement with the youth communist party leaders, I was told that I could not speak, but they had made a decision. They didn't want to give the money back, but they wanted us just to sing concerts. So I said, all right. I figured they could find out what the Holy Ghost does with the song all by themselves. And so uh, I walked up after the end of the first concert, and they're starting the second concert. Friends, I've never seen the power of God like that in my life. These young people, all of them, there was about 20, some of the children, maybe 22, all of our young people moved into praise and worship. Never seen anything like it in my life. We took over the atmosphere in that room. Those students were sitting there mesmerized. They were totally stunned. We were conducting spiritual warfare in heavenly places, and it was all being done by praise and worship, and they didn't know how that works. They didn't understand how that works. Well, second concert started up. My wife was on the front line. We had a baby. Jan was singing and all these young people singing. And, and I tell you, when you watch the anointing come down on musicians, it is a, it's a beautiful thing to see. The power of God came on our young... The singers were the first ones to raise their hand and start to praise God. Some of them in other tongues, some of them in the middle of the music. The audience was sitting there stunned, saying, what's going on here? We came to the end of the concert. God is moving by His Spirit, moving through all ears, signs and wonders when God moves. Move, O Lord, in me. I did not know what would happen. I think, Joe, you and I talked about it. You said there's going to be a revival or a riot, one or the other. We, we weren't sure. But they were all, I mean, the cigarettes had gone out. They weren't drinking the beer. They're just gasping. Communist government ran that country. The communist government had told them as children in school that God's dead. It was a battle between Christianity and the power of the Holy Ghost and the spirit of communism that had occupied the hearts of these young people, and they were there to see. Well, when our young people began to say, we had a guy playing a trombone, and he's going to be with us in about 10 days. His name is Tom Hall. Tom Hall was blowing a stride blowing a slide trombone with one hand in the air praising Jesus. That's impossible. You can't do that. I had never seen anybody do that before. He's playing a trombone with his hand in the air praising God. And I mean, the atmosphere was electric. When the song died, I didn't know what to expect. Joel and I were on the back wall just standing there side by each and looking And all of a sudden, as though someone had punched a button, every young person in that hall leaped to their feet, and they began to clap. In Europe, when you want an encore, you chant 
you clap with a chant like this, and everybody was singing and, and, and chap, uh, clapping their hands. They wanted a second, uh, what do you call it? Encore. We were there for three encores till 3.30 in the morning leading the people to Jesus Christ in the headquarters of the Communist Party. We're not just talking the theory here this morning. We're talking the power of God. And I want to suggest to you that when you are called to praise and worship God, you are called to spiritual warfare. And you take authority and you take control by the words that you sing and by your attention to what the Lord is doing and saying inside of your, your life. I had no idea that the man across town who heard about us would be named Cardinal Fortiwa. He was nominated Pope John Paul, the head of the Roman Catholic Church, two years later. He invited my group to sing in the Vatican. He was sitting on his papal throne tapping his toe to music. We sang songs that Rome had never heard before. And we were not just singing for him, we were singing for the entire nation. Imagine my shock. About four or five years later, he was now Pope in Rome. He traveled home because the Russians looked as though they were going to invade his nation of Poland. And he warned uh, Brezhnev and the Russian hordes that if they invaded Poland, he would fly his papal jet to Rome and stand in line with the Polish people. And if they dared to attack Poland, they would have to kill the Pope to do it. The world doesn't know what I've just told you now. They have no idea whatsoever. Anyway, he made up his mind that he wanted to get to know us. So we later sang choruses for him. And we, Joel has, uh, has been blessed. Your daughter is Anya, right here always. Pope took Anya in his hands and gave her a blessing. I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't believe my eyes. But when you start playing in the power of God and start moving with authority, uh, Anything can happen. I want to kind of short circuit now and go to the, the end. On September 28th, 1982, I was preaching in, Pol in uh, England with one of my music groups. We had four groups at that time traveling all over the world. That's why we've got a hundred, over a hundred coming to join in Tulsa. But I was working with a bunch of believers in my music group and, uh, I went to bed. I'd just flown in from New York to London. I was dead tired. I was awakened from a dead sleep and someone was standing by my bed and shaking me awake. His name was David Weir. David had been with me for 34 years at that point. And he said, uh, Terry, we've just received a phone call from Tulsa. Your wife has been killed in a car accident in Poland, in, in uh, Tulsa. I, I, I didn't believe him. 
I went into total shock. But a half an hour later, I had to talk to my children on the telephone, my three kids, and tell them that their mother was gone. They would never see her again. Friends, I understand what I'm saying. I understand the tension and what goes on in the world today. My oldest daughter said, Daddy, why did it have to be our mommy? What do you say to someone like that? And I learned a whole lesson about the power of praise and worship. Billy Joe Doherty was the, the pastor who conducted the funeral service for Chan. And Oral was there. Oral spoke some very kind and graceful words. And I made it through the funeral all right. I had enough presence about me to stand up in the middle of the funeral. One of my favorite Bible characters in the Old Testament is Joseph. And I told the audience that I was jealous of Jan because she was in heaven with Joseph and she got there before I did. But uh, I immediately went into a month and a half of despair. It's difficult to express it now and this is what, 35 years ago, whatever. Until finally I got a phone call from Oral Roberts asking me to come to his office in Tulsa. Oral and Evelyn had just lost their eldest son, Ron. And uh, they'd gone through a lot of terror and horror. And he asked me to come and he said, I want to talk to you about death. I want to talk to you about Jan. And then he said to me, I want to teach you how important it is for you to pray in your prayer language in the midst of your pain and to rise above all feelings that come to you that are filled with self-pity because they only weaken you. He says the only way to answer any of these things that happen in life is to declare, and he said it with his own lips, to declare the Word of God over them. And so the next day, I got up early in the morning, five, six, somewhere around there. I got up and I knelt by my bed and I tried to thank Jesus. When your wife is dead and you've got three little children that is impo are impossible to raise in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, what do you, what do you say to God? What can you say? I used my little Pentecostal praise words. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And they just came bouncing back at me out of the silence. I went on a couple hours like this, and gradually about two and a half hours into my prayer. I sensed it was like water building up behind a dam in my heart. And suddenly I came to the breaking point. And the words that came out of my spirit were, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in thee, O Lord. 
the humble, humble shall hear thereof and be glad. And then I just launched into tongues and into my prayer language. And God healed me that morning. He healed me and he said, I'm going to raise you up to take praise and worship to the world. He says, you've learned about it in your own special way. But I have some wonderful things I want to show you. There's one verse I want to close with this this morning. Out of Hebrews 13, 15. Look at it carefully. Memorize it. Underline it. The Bible says very clearly, through Christ, therefore, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Everybody say sacrifice of thanksgiving. I can't hear you. One more time. When you get to the point in your walk with God, when it's a sacrifice to say, thank you, Father. When you say, hallelujah, Jesus, bless my children, whatever it is that you have to pray and have to say, it's called a sacrifice. And the Bible talks about it all through Scripture. And I was learning in my bedroom, kneeling by my bed, I was learning what a sacrifice of praise was all about. And the Lord said, I'm going to raise you up to take this message to the world. And I wrote the first book on the power of praise and worship, 1995. We put out a, a revised version. I think we got some of the books in the, in the lobby at the back. But I want to stop right now. I want to ask a question. How many are there in this service this morning who are mad at God? He's done some things or allowed some things in your life that you don't like. And you've become stubborn in His presence. And you you said, I'm not going to sacrifice or praise the Lord if I can't honestly because I'm in the middle of pain. No. The Bible says praise God when you hurt. You need it when you're hurt rather than when you're fine. And there are no problems. Let me ask some, somebody else. How many are here this morning? And you've got a physical disease in your body and you need to be healed by the Lord and by a touch of God. Put your hand up if you would, please. Throughout the audience, yeah. Hands going up everywhere. How many of you have a child that's gone astray? They're outside of the kingdom. They're, they're walked away from the Lord and, and you've been calling on God to re- reach your family. How many of you are here this morning? Yes. There are hands everywhere. How about someone with a, a problem with a spouse? It hurts. Things are broken. And you don't know what to do. How about you? Put your hand up if you're here this morning. How about economic depression? I know we're in a time of prosperity, but at the same time, there are many people suffering and calling on God for his help in their finance. Are you amongst that group? Hold your hand up if you are. We want to include everyone this morning. You've prayed. There's been no answer. And God's word comes through to you very simply under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Through Christ, therefore, let us offer continually a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. Let me ask you a question. 
how many in the middle of your pain and in the middle of your hurt are willing to let go and praise God this morning? How many of you are willing to do that? I want you to stand to your feet, everyone, please. There's an old chorus that we taught to the Pope. It's called Alleluia. And when he came back to Poland and led a million people in a mass, he led them with this chorus because we had taught him this chorus in his home. How many of you know the chorus? Alleluia. 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 Let's sing it. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Thank you, Jesus. We're going to sing hallelujah again in a moment. But I want you to prepare your heart. As when we come to the right time, I'm going to ask every one of you who put up your hands to one of the reasons you may be mad at God. And we're going to do and stand in a place of faith and uplift the name of the Lord, uplift the power of His Holy Spirit. So as we sing it, open your heart and move into his presence. And then the time is going to come for prayer for the sick, and you're going to watch God heal people across this room. In Jesus' name, let's come before the Lord and say it again. One more time. Hallelujah. 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 Just raise our voices in praise to the Lord throughout oh, the audience. You, thank, you, thank you, Father. Hallelujah. We magnify your name. We uplift your name. We thank you for the power and presence of Jesus that is in this room this morning. Thank you, Father, for what you're about to do. Thank you for the manifestation of your power and of your glory. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. I want us to pause for just a moment now. How many people need a healing and you need a touch from the Lord right now this morning? Would you hold your hand up? And many other people are here with needs. 
I'm going to ask all of you who have who don't have your hand up to look around you and find someone close to you with their hand up and then I want you to walk over and put your hand on them gently and pray a, a word of healing faith right now through all the audience go to someone with a hand raised lay hands on them there's a lot of people raising hands this morning we need a lot of people praying for others just do it throughout the meeting if you would please right now in Jesus name I'm going to pray a prayer and as I pray the prayer, I want you to release your faith in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning asking for the power of God to be manifested in this crowd right now. There are people here that are sick, reasons for sickness that they don't even understand. There are those with, with problem relationships, with children away from Jesus. There are people here this morning, Father, with aching hearts. And we come before you and we lift up a sacrifice of praise. It's not easy to say praise the Lord in the middle of everything that's happening. But we say praise the Lord this morning. We shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. Hallelujah. Praise God for everything you're about to do in this room. We shout to the Lord. We shout to the Lord in the name of Jesus. Blessed be your name, Lord. Blessed be your name, Lord. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All right, listen to me. Listen to me. Now's the time to receive. Um, God has healed people in this room. You don't know it yet. You haven't felt anything. But I want you to go to the area of your body where you ask for God to heal and find out what He's done in that area. If it's a bad back, bend your back. If it's a headache, bang on your head. Do something to find out. This is the time when we test the Lord. Let's go before God now and say, Father, we've asked it and we're putting our faith out there. We're believing for something from your hand here in this room this morning. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you have sensed the presence of the Lord, you've sensed God's power, and you sense that there's been a healing in your body. Would you hold your hand up, please? Hold your hand up all over the room. Hold it up. That's right. Now, if you let your hand up, I want you to slip out to an aisle and come and stand with me down here at the front. Would you come right, please? Just come, please, and stand beside us right down here at the front. We're going to find out what God has done. It's so important to testify when the Lord touches you physically. So important to testify to him and to the glory of his presence thank you Lord Jesus thank you Lord Jesus Joel I wonder if you can get another microphone uh, I'm sorry I should have come on somebody say praise the Lord look at the folk walking down here this morning we've come here to see the power of God we've come here to believe in the power of praise and worship hallelujah I want to talk to this lady right here in the white. What's your name, please? Joan Mancino. What, what happened? Uh, my, my knee's been, like, locked up, and I've had a hard time um, bending it for about a year now. For a year? So, yeah. And what's happened? Um, well, it's definitely um, it's, bending It's improving. Today. It's in the process for improving. It's in the process, Joe, put, yes. put your hand on her forehead. Father, we speak total healing to that knee. In the name of Jesus, we declare Thank it you, done. Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Thank Jesus' you, Lord. name, I, praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Uh, Thank Joel, you, Lord. over here. Right here. 
What, what has God done for you this morning? Well, I was diagnosed with stargots in my left eye. And so my vision is very blurry in my left eye. But I'm in the process of seeing very clear. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The presence of God. Yes, Lord, thank you. This, this lady in the white over here, tell me your name, please. Sonia. What's happened so to you? So just little ailments that I've had have been taken away. I had sciatica. I prayed about it. I believe it's gone, my sciatica pain. And then this is really little. I had a glass, a shard in my leg, and it was stuck. I didn't want to go to the emergency room, so I kept praying about it. Please, God, take it out. I went to the ocean a couple of times, went in the car, and the glass just popped out. We thank, we thank the Lord with you. <laughs> thank you, Lord. That's wonderful. Praise the Lord. Uh, this big fella in the red shirt here, what's your I name? I was having some hot problems, but now they've gone away, and I, I just feel so blessed. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Right beside him. Yes. Hi. I have a problem with my right eye, and um, my dog by accident split my cornea, and it's healing, but it's at times it's all right. I think the doctor said it's doing really well considering what you went through. It just cut right through my cornea, and it's really, really bad, he said. But I'm believing in the Lord, and I know he's going to heal me. The doctor had looked at it and said it's amazing how it's healing in that short time. It's sealed itself you, you keep real going tight. To the, you keep going to the doctor and testify to I'm your I'm going again. And I he's going to see total yes. restoration. That's and just he, what I'm doing. I'm making an appointment with my doctor. Yes. In the name of Amen. Jesus. The young lady beside yes. What has the Lord done? Um, I had a pain on my, on my shoulder for the longest time, and I feel like it's, it's gone. There, there's, there's someone in the room, someone in the room, I don't know who you are, and it's got something to do with your tongue and your mouth. And I, I, I don't know how to describe it other than to say that there's a burning sensation. God is doing something in someone's mouth. So you make sure that if it's you, you come and tell us because you don't want the enemy to take that away. Someone say praise the Lord. This gentleman over here. Yes, sir. Hi, my name is Ed Jernigan. I had major back surgery. Thank God I'm here. He's helped me in a lot of ways. I had cancer before. He cured me of that. And now I'm asking him for help for now. Amen. Amen. You're asking for prayer? For help. For help? Yes, with my all back right. at all. If you'd wait on the front row, we'll talk to you at the end. Hi, uh, Joe. Just... Big fella here. Hi, my name is David. A couple of months ago, a few months ago, I was diagnosed with uh, deteriorating disc disease in my back. Can you speak a little louder? I was diagnosed with deteriorating disease in my back. I was having trouble bending, having trouble doing anything, even tying my shoe. And now... He <laughs> just touched his feet. He just touched his feet. Gentlemen, right, be, right beside him. Yes, sir. Yes, my name's John. Uh, I was in a hospital yesterday because my legs were all swollen, and uh, um, I just said I was nervous because of the blood clots in my family, and I was hoping I didn't get them, and for some reason, it happened. You know, I got uh, just don't have anything. My legs are fine. Thanks, Amen. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Uh, how many of you are under doctor's care and you've been healed in the area where you're under care from the doctor? 
Would you hold your hand up, please? Anybody? This gentleman here. Have we? we yeah, you already spoke. I, I already talked to you. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, somebody else? Anywhere? Listen. Listen. Yeah. We'll talk to the lady. Sure. Thank you. Hi, my name is Linda. I have bad knees. My knees keep popping out. When I turn in, I'm telling you, I feel like a heat around my knees and my lower back. It's unbelievable. The pain is gone. Hallelujah. Praise God. Come on, someone say praise the Lord. Uh, who, who is that person that has something in their mouth? I don't understand. Somebody, okay, right here. What's your name, please? Name is Flo. Um, <clears throat> since um, last week, Monday, I've been coughing, coughing, and then um, I refused to go to the hospital because I know they were asking to stay. And um, <clears throat> just now, it's like, I mean, I finished a box of Kleenex yesterday, so today it's like, I mean, now it's like uh, nothing you, is coming. You talk your way out of it. Just keep talking until this whole thing is manifested. Keep in talking. Tell so talk to someone here. If you're under doctor's care, anyone here, don't do, don't do anything foolish. Healing is real, and they'll see it, and they'll recognize it if God has touched your body. So go and give glory to the Lord with your doctor. Amen. Amen. Uh, I, what I preached this morning is a kind of a, uh, it's part of my book, The Power, Praise, and Worship, that I wrote 10, 15 years ago. Uh, the message of praise and worship is so powerful. If you get a hold of it, it'll change everything in your life. And uh, we're preaching this message in the Middle East, wherever God sends us. And I, I praise the Lord for the manifestation of His power here this morning. But if you've been healed and you haven't testified to somebody, anyone who's here and haven't testified, tell somebody before you walk out of here. Tell them what the Lord has done to you this morning. Go and give praise to the Lord and, and be blessed by the Lord as you go. God bless. Pastor. I'm going to turn this over to you. Uh, we've got a video short, it's about four, four minutes. If we can, would you run that, please? And, and I'll turn this to Pastor. And I want to say thank you for allowing us to come back. Thank you. It's been an honor to be here. Praise the Lord. World compassion empowers the local church in nations hostile to the gospel. It's why we cross oceans, cultural barriers, and unsafe borders to share.